Nobody understood what was happening with us. We thought that Russians are our brothers, the best friends for our country. But they started to kill the most clever people of this region, of this country, and it was absolutely crazy. This is Voices of Ukraine, a podcast from Columbia University's Harriman Institute. I'm Masha Udenseva-Brenner, and the voice you just heard is Nikita Grigorov, a journalist and writer who's currently a Harriman resident at the Institute for Ideas and Imagination in Paris. This is the first of a series of episodes about our Ukrainian residents there, and it's the fifth in a series about Ukraine in 2014. I suggest going back and listening to the first four episodes for more context. Nikita was a university student living in Donetsk when the Russian aggression started there back in 2014. Just a quick trigger warning here. This episode tackles some difficult topics and contains some descriptions of violence. If you're sensitive or listening with children, please proceed with caution, particularly starting around the six and a half minute mark. Okay, now back to Nikita's story. Nikita first noticed the Russians while walking through the city center after class one day. A huge group of them congregating in tracksuits, donning brass knuckles and holding bats. He could tell they weren't locals because of how disoriented they seemed, and he observed them with shock. He'd been studying Russian literature at Donetsk National University, and had always admired Russian culture, associated it with a sort of moral purity. Idealistic topics about God, about big souls, about moral things. But the Russians he saw infiltrating Donetsk were nothing like he'd imagined from the literature. All these people was absolutely unmoral people. Nikita says he'd never considered himself particularly political. It was only after the revolution of dignity erupted in Kiev at the end of the previous year that he went to some Promaidan meetings at local cafes. He read a lot, and though he appreciated and valorized Russian culture, he'd also internalized the ideals of various Western thinkers. And he had always valued an independent, democratic Ukraine. But many people around him had not been exposed to the same ideas. And he noticed that the revolution in Kiev had started dividing his friends, classmates, and surrounding society into two groups— pro-European and pro-Russian. His classmates in the Russian philology department tended to be pro-Russian. For them, it was crossed. It was the same. If you speak Russian, you're Russian. Donetsk is a Russian-speaking city only about 60 miles from the Russian border, and many of its residents watched Russian TV and absorbed Russian ideology. It's Russian idea that language is your state. We have power on you. And we can control your life because you speak Russian. The Russian government had used the alleged oppression of Russian speakers as a pretext to invade Georgia in 2008. And now it was doing the same thing, much more slyly, in Ukraine. But his classmates bought into this logic, and the global community seemed complacent with it too. Ukraine wasn't visible for the world. Everybody just thought, oh, it's something similar to Russia, because they have the same language, they have the same culture, some Russian-speaking musical 
collective something like this. So when the Russians appeared in Donbass and started exploiting the pro-Russian sentiments in much of the region and calling for a referendum for independence, the world didn't pay as much attention as it should have. And the social divisions in the region turn ugly. Very quickly, the society around Nikita started to brutalize and harden. And it soon became dangerous to express your opinions if you supported Kyiv. Nikita will never forget the time a group of his classmates, who knew about his pro-Ukrainian sentiments, captured him and dragged him to the Donetsk administrative headquarters, which had been taken over by Russian-backed separatists and was rumored to contain a torture chamber. They threatened to give him over to the pro-Russians for being a traitor. Then, at the last moment, they decided to let him go. Before this, we were really close friends. And they told me, okay, you was our friend. We give you one chance to run. Nikita was horrified by this new, grotesque reality. The pro-Russian attitudes were starting to infiltrate all aspects of his life. He lost an important friendship because of it. One of my closest friends, he supported Maidan, really understood the sense of this revolution of dignity. But when Russians entered in Ukraine, he started to support them. He changed his mind because of family pressure, and eventually... At the behest of his brother, he stopped talking to Nikita. This was very, very big pain for me because we were really close friends. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian side was starting to retaliate against the pro-Russians with aerial raids. I remember planes, military planes, and I remember street shootings. Violence seemed to be lurking in every corner. One time, his father even tripped over a Russian sniper on the street. Nikita and his parents lived in an apartment not far from Donetsk airport. They heard explosions around them as the pro-Ukrainians fought the pro-Russians for control. Witnessed the bombing of Putilov Bridge, a strategic point near their apartment that was destroyed at the start of the fighting. There was a day when Nikita stepped out of his building to see a big car filled with the bloody corpses of pro-Russian soldiers. They'd been hit by Ukrainian rockets. It was the first time he had seen anything like it, and he couldn't believe how quickly and drastically his life had changed. You have smartphone, you have McDonald's, you have social media, you have books, you have comfort life, and one time you come out from your house and you see killed soldiers. It's impossible. Nikita says the Russians brought evil and violence to his city, but he didn't feel too threatened by their military capabilities. It was clear that they were disorganized, disoriented, and many of them were walking drunk around Donetsk. When the Ukrainian troops finally entered his city that spring, Nikita felt hopeful. 
surely it wouldn't take much for them to combat this haphazard operation. They thought that it's Finnish because all those militants, they were really weak. It was a really, really big hope. But just as quickly as they came, the Ukrainian troops disappeared and Donetsk remained under pro-Russian control. Then in July, the pro-Russian authorities announced that they would start conscripting locals to fight against the Ukrainian side. That's when Nikita and his father knew they had to flee. There was no way they would fight against their own country. My father and I leave Donetsk by the last train. I mean last in general. It was last train from Donetsk to Kiev. They caught the last train that would ever travel between Donetsk and Kiev. And it was a terrifying experience. The train station in Donetsk was being bombed. And there were men with guns everywhere, even inside the train car. There was a lot of Russian people, a lot of Chechens people, a lot of ethnical Russians, minorities. They started to search the train. My father and I hid our passports. We were really afraid about this. Then, after searching everyone, the men just left. To this day, he isn't sure what they were searching for. I think it was just for scaring, for horror. Finally, the train departed, and Nikita and his father started to feel relief as they rolled further and further away from Donetsk. When we saw the first Ukrainian flag, when we saw it, it was one of the happiest moments in our life. We are in the safe place. But they didn't think they were leaving forever. Nikita's mother, who's a doctor, stayed behind to tend to the increasing numbers of patients coming through the hospital because of all the violence. They expected the Ukrainian army to liberate Donetsk within the next few months, but things only got worse and worse. After four months, Nikita's mother came to Kyiv too. But not all the pro-Ukrainians Nikita knew were lucky enough to leave. I know some people who is in Donetsk now, but they never supported Russia. But they have a lot of obligations. They have very ill parents. They have really big problems and they just don't have possibility to left all of this. And though he considers himself lucky to have escaped, life for Nikita was very difficult. He was able to resume his studies at Kyiv National University thanks to an initiative to help displaced students introduced by the Minister of Culture. But he never quite felt like he fit in. Many in the capital blamed him and the others fleeing the war for the ousted pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych and for allowing Russia's incursion into eastern Ukraine. And though Nikita lived in Kyiv for nearly eight years, he never felt comfortable there because everything about it was loaded with the loneliness and desolation of his experiences. Every street... Every building, every cafe, everything reminded me about all of those things. And I always wanted to leave Kyiv. Nikita eventually enrolled at the Charles University in Prague. But he didn't get to live in Prague for very long, because the COVID-19 pandemic hit. That same year, in 2020, his parents bought an apartment in Irpin, a suburb of Kyiv. Nikita was there with them, on break from his studies, when Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. But even as the Russian forces drew closer, 
His parents didn't want to leave their second home in eight years. He says he had to drag them by their necks to get them out. And good thing he did, because Irpin was temporarily occupied by Russian forces, and much of it was decimated. His parents' apartment was left standing, but a cousin's apartment next door was destroyed. The only thing still intact was a green vase. Nikita brought his parents to safety at a friend's refugee shelter in Ivano-Frankivsk. Then he went back to Kiev to volunteer for a military hospital, as a security guard and a writer promoting the hospital's activities. Then, in July 2022, he was able to cross the border and go into Paris, where he started as a Harriman resident that September. The residency status, as well as his student visa, allowed him to leave the country in spite of the military age restriction for males. But he has conflicting feelings about being in safety. One of my closest key friends, he's from Crimea, and he's a soldier now, and he's a beautiful poet. He's my classmate in Kyiv University, and when the invasion started, they were like in, in the same position, you know, it's the same level of our civil activity. Now I'm in Paris, and he's in the front line, in the hottest point, and I have a lot of friends who are fighting now, or do another useful things. Nikita's trying to be useful too. He's writing a book about his experiences at the military hospital and using his skills as a writer and journalist to promote Ukrainian culture abroad, to make Ukraine more visible to the world, and to reaffirm his country's strong and independent cultural identity. But he still feels guilty about not being home. It's not the same, of course, when you're in Paris and when you're in Ukraine. But for now, he'll stay put. He's too traumatized to go back. So much so that his memory is totally shot. I'm writing the diary because I just don't remember the last day. The trauma haunts him. He's going to stay abroad and continue with his mission of making Ukrainian culture visible to the rest of the world. Thank you for listening to Voices of Ukraine a podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. Please stay tuned for the next episode, in which you'll hear from Ukrainian documentary filmmaker Zoya Luktyonova, another one of our residents in Paris, who's originally from Mariupol. Thank you for listening to Voices of Ukraine, a podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. I'm Mashi Densova-Brenner, This episode was written and produced by me and edited by Nathan Schiller with editorial guidance from Marko Andrejcik. Our cover art is by Victoria Tentler-Krylov. The music for this series is by Ivan Nebesny, who's still in Ukraine. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review. Those really, really go a long way in helping the podcast. Thanks so much. Until next time.